This is Gordon Verning with Jazz Insights. We're going to continue with the music of Kansas City in the 1930s, that golden age of Kansas City jazz. It lasted from the late 1920s to approximately 1939 when Boss Pendergrass was finally put in jail and they closed a number of the dance halls and gambling joints on Vine and 18th Street. But that 10-year period was just a wonderful time to be a musician in Kansas City. That's where Charlie Parker comes from, and as a youngster, he heard all this wonderful music. An important band leader from this period was a man by the name of Harlan Leonard. He was a saxophonist. He played with many of the groups in the late 20s and early 1930s, and by the mid-1930s was leading a group called the Rockets. It, It became known as Harlan Leonard and the Kansas City Rockets. And they were very successful in the southwest Kansas City territory. And at one point, they were on the verge of breaking in nationally in New York and had two or three big hits. We're going to listen to probably one of the most important pieces and popular pieces they recorded. And this is called I Don't Want to Set the World on Fire, which was originally a ballad, but for some unknown reason, the producer of the record insisted that they play it as an up-tempo piece. It features a wonderful singer by the name of Myra Taylor. This is Harlan Leonard and the Kansas City Rockets. This world on fire I just want to start A flame in your heart In my heart I have but one desire And that one is you No other will do I've lost all ambition For worldly acclaim Just want to be the one you love And with your admission That you feel the same I've reached the goal I'm dreaming of I don't want to set this world on fire I just want to start a flame in your heart The next piece we're going to listen to by Harlan Leonard was a big hit for him in 1940. Hairless Joe was a comic book character in the Al Cap comics strip. And um, a piece was written dedicated to this comic book character. And they shortened the, the title from Hairless Joe Jump to just the Hairy Joe Jump, 1940. This was a hit for Harlan Leonard and the Kansas City Rockets. Thank you. 
by the mid-1930s, the Kansas City style had really matured into an identifiable approach to playing. It featured a very, very strong and supple rhythm section with a bass player playing in a style called walking. The drummers pretty much copying Joe Jones, moving away from playing the drums themselves, the snare and the tom-tom, to moving the time to the cymbals. Many of these groups featured rhythm guitar, but that Kansas City style really comes to us from the mid-1930s. And it's also the result of those late-night jam sessions. And Kansas City has always been a, a saxophone town. Coleman Hawkins was originally from St. Joe, comes from that tradition. Ben Webster, uh, Lester Young, uh, Herschel Evans, who was originally from Texas, also was associated. And, of course, alto players Harlan Leonard and Buster Smith, who was one of the greatest of the Kansas City alto saxophonists, really was the model for Charlie Parker's playing. Buster Smith was also a very good composer, eventually moved to New York, and eventually, you know, at the end of his career, moved back to Texas. He was from Texas originally, but was also known as prof or the professor because he had these um, glasses and he looked very professorial, but he was a very important musician. The Count Basie Orchestra, as we know it, was formed in late 1935, early 36, after the demise of Benny Moten. Now, Basie had tried to form a group a few years earlier, but was not successful. He didn't have the business acumen and didn't understand how the business worked in terms of touring and really wasn't quite ready to form his own group. After Moten's demise, um, it took Cal Basie a few months to form a group that really was the remnants of the Blue Devils and the Benny Moten Orchestra and a number of other very good musicians. They were at the Reno Club and they held court there every night with jam sessions running late into the night or early in the morning. It's the site of the famous um, scene when Charlie Parker comes in and wants to sit in on a, uh, a song, I think Body and Soul, and Joe Jones is so disgusted Joe picks up a cymbal and throws it across the dance floor. But the Reno Club was where the basic band really got their start. And it was a nine-piece group. They had some very simple head arrangements with great soloists. They had uh, Oren uh, Hotlips Page, who was one of the best trumpet players from the Midwest, predating Buck Clayton and Harry Edison. Lips Page was a, was a terrific player. Buster Smith was playing lead alto. We had the two tenors, Herschel Evans from Texas and, and Lester Young. A great rhythm section, good trombones, but it was a nine-piece group with very simple arrangements. 1936, John Hammond heard the group on a live radio broadcast from Chicago, drove to Kansas City, and convinced Basie to take a band to New York. One of the first recordings they made when they got to New York was a famous piece always associated with Count Basie, and this is the typical riff style of Kansas City jazz, riff layered upon riff with great solos in between. This is the One O'Clock Jump, which was his theme song. When 
Hammond heard the group in, in Kansas City. It was a nine-piece group. They went to Chicago first and made some great recordings in Chicago and then eventually went to New York. He insisted that the band be enlarged to 14 pieces, and they didn't have any arrangements for 14 pieces. They had arrangements were based on nine pieces in the group. And from all the reports of the performances on the way to New York and the early performances in New York was the band was terrible. It was out of tune. They were not familiar with the music, and they'd been playing you know, the Reno Club for so long, and they really had their own thing, their own style. But adding these other musicians really changed things about And there was all also a big change in personnel. Buster Smith was not playing lead alto anymore. They had to find a new lead alto. They got Earl Warren, who was a good player. It wasn't Buster Smith. Hot Lips Page left. They had to bring in other trumpet players. They had to bring in other saxophone players and fill out the group. And the first, you know, engagements were not well received at all. After a few months um, of playing nightclubs and touring, the Count Basie Orchestra, as we know it, really was brought to the forefront. And that was the band we heard on One O'Clock Jump. Let's listen to one of the most important recordings that features the Count Basie at full maturity from the late 1930s. This is Doggin' Around. Basie Band was the most famous band to come out of Kansas City, and Count Basie enjoyed a very long and popular career. He had his ups and downs in the late 40s, early 50s. He disbanded, and then, of course, the band in the 50s used different arrangements, but he had a long career and was always had great soloists and wonderful arrangements. By the late 1930s, the heyday of Kansas City jazz was really coming to a close, but there's one more band leader who puts the, the period at the end of the sentence, Kansas City Jazz, and that's a boogie-woogie pianist by the name of Jay McShann. He came to Kansas City from Oklahoma and in the late 1930s became one of the most popular band leaders in the region. 
one of the highlights of the Jay McShann Orchestra is he hired a young saxophonist by the name of Charlie Parker. And this is Parker's first real big break in a professional orchestra with the Jay McShann Orchestra. Let's listen to a McShann um, arrangement of a piece called Swingmatism from about 1940 that features a very young Charlie Parker. And this is fully mature Kansas City jazz. And this is really the end of that golden era of the Jay McShann Orchestra. This has been Jazz Insights with Dr. Gordon Vernick. Visit me on the web at gordonvernick.com. Jazz Insights is produced by WMLB AM 1690, the voice of the arts in Atlanta, Georgia.